We're back again for another episode of Some Like It Hot, and um, today's guest is going to bring us through quite the sci-fi adventure, I'm sure, but he also has a lot to say about news and politics, and I've known him for quite some time, and we'll get into how long and why. So it's interesting because... I'm sitting on this side of the desk today, and I'm going to be doing the interviewing, whereas the last time we spoke, which was many moons ago, uh, it was the other way around. So I'd like to get right into this conversation and introduce all of you to Bill. And (laughs) Bill, (laughs) say hello. Hello, hello, hello. How are you today, Nikia? I'm good. Did you want me to say your full name? Uh, Sure. You can say it. Okay. Bill McCormick, Yes. Yeah, that's there me. we go, Bill McCormick. Sorry, I'm just so used to calling him Bill. That's just me being very unprofessional right off the jump, um, <laughs> right out of the gate. Um, I'm doing good, and I'm glad that I finally get a chance to have you on here. You're in Chicago right now, right, or in the area, correct? Oh no, I am definitely. I am on the south side of Chicago in a neighborhood called South Chicago. You don't get much more Chicago than where I'm sitting right now. Wow. Okay. Good. I mean, literally, like three blocks away are the old steel yards. So this is Chicago. And the thing I like is that as I've been doing this random journey into podcasting, I love having people from hopefully all over the globe, but definitely all over the country because I like to ask a lot of the same questions to them so we can get a perspective, you know what I mean, as an audience Mm -hmm. of how everybody is feeling about what's going on. So I'm really glad and I wanted to point out where you're from. Um, Now, you and I, we've known each other for what, like easily a decade. I know more, probably more than that, but definitely a decade. I was figuring it out this morning. I think it's just actually just under a decade, but we've known Is each it? other a minute. Yeah. It feels like a decade. It feels like it, but uh, that's just because I irritate people. No, <laughs> it is what it is. Well, you know, okay. So now do you remember how we got connected on Facebook? Because I don't, I have a kind of an idea, but I can't really put it together. So I was wondering if you did, I always ask everybody what they remember. Oh yeah. I actually do remember this. Um, you had a uh, picture online of you in a little checkerboard background or something, something weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was a cute picture, and I was doing a blog at the time called Jay the Joke, which was a sports blog. Okay. And that picture that picture worked really well with what I was doing, so I sent you an email. You did not know me. I was just the crazy stalker online. Okay. But I sent you an email, and um, you, uh, you know, just let you know I wanted to use it, and you said, okay, and I sent you a link when it was live, and there our friendship blossomed and blossomed from there oh okay yeah i didn't i did not remember that because i just i know correct me if i'm wrong this is how i remember it there was a woman named barbara involved and a drag queen (laughs) and he was performing in chicago pride and for some reason you were both you were friends with her on facebook and she's in the music industry i think she was his management Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I am, I am friends. I'm, you can't just say a drag queen in my world because that's like okay, that's the left column over here. There's a uh-huh. lot. Of well, I can't remember there. his name at the moment. It does escape me. Yeah. That's why. That's okay. I think I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about. Okay, and so I, I used to run a website and I did interviews, which is why I'm here again. Somehow we got connected, uh, Barbara and I, because I wanted to interview this this drag queen to have them on my site and i was going to do this whole 
um, feature for them. And then it got really ugly between Barbara and I in emails. I, I don't remember them, but I just remember she just was very nasty to me. And I kind of just, I was a little less professional than I am today. So <laughs> I was a little more arrogant. And I just remember there were some comments happening and you and I were talking. And I remember, I was like, who is this guy? Because you are very um, free-spirited is probably mm-hmm. an understatement. Yeah. And, and you really you say things that a lot of people would not dare say. You certainly put it into text. Um and I found that very interesting and then um the business side of things as far as like connections, you are connected to the morning radio show. What is it? The big What is the big, big ma- wake up call? The big wake up call. Thank you. And right. and you had um me on there with the now, are you the co-host or because I know the host is is someone else? Yeah, the host is a guy named Ryan Gatenby, mm-hmm. and I'm the co-host of I'm I'm a, I guess you would call me a regular guest. Okay. Uh, and it's on Fox Radio, local Fox Radio here. Okay. And uh, this October will be my tenth year of doing it. Wow. Yeah. So. And that's is that every morning or is it? Um... No, no, no. It's it's every Friday, nine ten a.m. Central Daylight Time. Tune in to turn on. Yay. <laughs> There's that radio voice. <laughs> and so you guys had me on, I think it was like 2011, something mm-hmm. like that, which would make it right under a decade, right? And I remember, you know, we were on there doing that. So that is that is how I remember our conversations, our connections. But now fast forward to 2020 and a lot of the dialogue that I, that I certainly have with you and the internet has with you is... Um, through your opinions on what's going on in the country, in the world, and in politics. And you are very opinionative in those regards. Yeah, I, uh, I lean a little to the left. That is true. Um, I've, uh, I, I know I go to some people's pages and it's like 450 political posts and I think you're kind of beating a dead horse. Um, I will say, I will state my mind, I will state it clearly. Um, since I'm a professional writer, I try to use words and uh, I hope for the best that, you know, get my point across. Um, you know, I was, I was talking today that there's, you know, millions of uh, people die of starvation every year. Nobody cares. 300 people die of coronavirus and we're closing airports. Why? Because it's rich people that are being affected. Right. Right. You know, that's the thing. So we're recording this a little uh, ahead of when your this episode's going to air. But at the <clears> moment, we are in the whole coronavirus um I want to call it craze. Maybe it's like, you know, the Beatles. Uh, it's coming up to, across the shores. Um, you know, it's, it's it's the same media hype that the Beatles got, certainly. It's the same, um, you know, it's paying the bills for all of the uh, multimedia companies that are using it to get views and likes and, you know. Um, there's different things that I'm hearing about it. Uh, some people it's like it's the end of the world and then other people are like it's just another flu not everybody's dying from it but a lot of people are catching it so I don't really know what to think maybe you could shine some light on it because I really don't have a horse in the race I'm just like whatever yeah I actually can add something to that um, first of all uh, as of this recording the World Health Organization has put the fatality rate around 3% which makes this oh, like 150 times more deadly than the flu um so that's a lot. But right now, of course, you're not seeing the eye-popping numbers that you saw in 1918 when the flu pandemic killed like 12 million people because 
it just hasn't infected that many people yet. It's brand new. It's just getting its feet in the door. And I think that's, you know, what's lulling a lot of people into complacency. It hasn't spread that far yet. But it's like, a, I don't know, you're not old enough um, uh, to remember this, but back in the 70s, there was a, a commercial for shampoo, and it said, you tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and we'll spread around the world. Well, that's exactly what's happening with this coronavirus. Right. I get it. They spread it to two friends. They spread it to two friends. And you know, it's a geometric progression upwards. It's not coming back down. Right. Yeah, I had, um, so I've been doing a live version of my podcast on Twitch, and I actually have a friend of mine who works in a hospital in, I think he said Minnesota, Missouri, I think Missouri, <laughs> he's going to get mad at me when he hears this, but <laughs> no, no matter what, he works in a hospital, and he said there's an entire wing that's been quarantined because one person came down with it, and then it spread to 14 in a matter of days. Yeah, I think that's Minnesota. I was just hearing something about that on the news. But yeah, and it, that's happening all around the country. And they don't have testing kits. Um, and now they're saying they're going to charge people for the vaccine if they do get testing kits, because that's the fricked up world we live in. Can I can I swear? Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. God. Yes, finally, I am. Un I am unleashed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can say whatever you want. I mean, within reason, I guess. I, I date only people who are old enough to date. You know, I, I have my rules. I keep them there. Well, that's good to know. Um, <laughs> and, and I had no hashtag me too questions, but um, I wanted to, as far as the coronavirus thing is going, as far as all the stuff that's going, it's just, it's, the sad thing is where we are now, especially because you and I are, we, we do a lot of business and, and also um, socializing on mm -hmm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And the thing that I see the most that probably scares me the most is that we are so fragmented in what we believe. We're so fragmented in what we think is fact or fiction that I don't think we can really come back from it at this point because I see people... Um, I, I saw a post this morning on Facebook where someone said, you know, coronavirus was spread by the Chinese government because they wanted to stop the protesters and it just got out of hand and 150 people liked it and agreed and they were going on and then another person said and this is the same feed same morning uh, coronavirus was put out by the governments of the world to cull the population and I'm like and then that had 80 likes and comments and I'm like okay there could be validity to both of those those things but the sad part is, is that when I was reading all the replies, the people were like deep into conspiracy theory land. They didn't care about facts. They only cared about the fantasy. And that yeah. scares me even more. Uh, especially the one about the protesters makes no sense whatsoever when you realize that they closed down Wuhan province, which is thousands upon thousands of miles away from Beijing and Hong Kong, where the protesters are. <laughs> if, if that was their original goal, they suck at it, man. I mean, right. it's awful. Right. And um, as for the, you know, I've, I've heard it, uh, you catch it from uh, drinking bat soup. No, you don't. Right. Uh, you, you know, it's been made by governments. Uh, I, in my writing, you know, in my books, The Brittle Writers, I did a ton of research on uh, genetic manipulation because I'm an asshole and I wanted to kill the human race. And, oh, fabulous. Uh, you know, I, that's my, everyone has a hobby. Everyone has a hobby. So, uh, but anyway, in the in the brutal writers, I I actually met with uh, what they call theoretical geneticists, and some of the stuff they're playing with now is just mind bending. But even they were saying that 
while you could actually manipulate the number of chromosomes in a human being to create a new race of humans, uh, adjusting a virus or getting a virus to consistently reproduce itself into a new mutant form of virus is almost nigh on impossible. Because once you start m m uh, altering it, it's, it just goes into all sorts of different directions. Some of them, and believe it or not, most of them benign. They just, yeah, hi, I'm a virus. How you doing? You want to go have a beer? You know, um, you know, they're, they're not lethal. Um, right. So when I hear people like, oh, scientists are doing this in a lab, it's like, you're giving scientists way too much credit here. Uh, right, just... and, and they don't give them credit for the stuff that they, like, global warming. They don't believe that. These are the same people that don't believe in global warming and the warnings from scientists, but then they believe that the mad scientists are cooking up all kinds of catastrophes to kill all of us off. And it's, it's like I said, it's fragmented beliefs. It's these fragmented thought process. And that's what's going to be our ultimate like downfall because we're not working cohesively. We're just constantly going off of like flat earth and, you know, conspiracy uh... theories. What, you don't like yeah. flat earth? <laughs> no. I don't like flat anything. You know I'm a curves kind of guy. But, uh, <laughs> bam, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but back on topic, one of the things I do, and this this is the only way I can see to solve this, is boots on the ground. I teach Sunday school. I teach kids. I mentor kids here in the neighborhood. And the one thing I really try and teach them above everything else, above trying to get test answers right, is how to use logic and uh, parse data. Uh, with, you know, with a critical mind and think of things with a critical uh, eye. That doesn't mean you have to be a skeptic all the time. It doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. Just take a look. You know, if you see something on Facebook that says, you know, um, Bob Jones did this, Google it. See right. if that comes up. If it's 14 papers with the exact same headline, it's spam. It's, you know, it's it's a troll. It's not real. Right. Uh, it's easy enough to find stuff out. And that's the one thing I, I you know, I teach my kids. And I just hope others are doing that. And, you know, we're at that age now where there's too much information and too many people who are not willing to take a look and see if it's real or not. And we're also in a situation that I've noticed when I try to look up things, you know, 10, 15 years ago when you would Google, there were a couple other websites. I won't date myself by mentioning them. But before Google, there were other search sites that were more that were popular. You used to actually like look up things and you could find them. And you could find the actual thing you were looking for, the information you were looking for. And now there's so many um, false postings. There's so many, um, they're ads. They're not even really, the, 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 the link goes to something that's completely different, trying to you know advertise something to you or sell something to you. It makes it that much more difficult for people to get the facts that they need to have. Yeah and no. Um, I've, I've learned a trick, uh, and I'm happy to share it with you. It's not Please like my do. super secret. Yeah. But uh, if you're looking for something like, remember I said Bob Jones, and we're just pulling the name out of my ass there. And it says Bob Jones rapes kittens. That's the big thing. You don't just Google Bob Jones because you're going to find a lot of disturbing cat videos. Right. But if you put the whole slogan in, if you put four or five, if you have at least four to six words that you're looking for at the same time, that acts as your filter. That acts as a, a, almost like a binary filter that wipes out a lot of the crap and brings you back down to what this topic is. Mm -hmm. And then if all you see is the exact same thing over and over again, then you know it's a troll, it's a bot. And you go, nope, doesn't happen. And right. move on with your life. Um, you know, and I try to get the kids to do that. And you'd be amazed some of the stuff they thought was true. And you know, they're, they're kids here in Chicago. So, you know, Tupac was killed by aliens. Oh, makes bills like her. <laughs> but you know, so, <laughs> we look it up and oh no, it was just a regular bullet. Okay, you know. Right. But, uh, but you know, you you got to get past 
the goofiness a little bit and and, and use a clinical mind or use a critical mind and uh, use a clinical one too. use your real mind not some fake one and um you know and try and give yourself a at least a running start at getting to the truth you know you're not always going to get there but by god you do try well i am surprised that you say that you are so helpful on sundays with the children because your social media presence is quite (laughs) adult and i would love for you to describe to my audience um a little bit of what your social media presence is and and why you've decided to how you would describe your persona on social media well um here's the thing it's not a persona i'm Bill McSci-Fi McCormick. I write uh, very adult stuff. You are correct. Uh, the Brittle Riders has um, an infamous sex scene in it uh, that happens in a bathtub in a hotel. That uh, my favorite is one of the ladies who was originally writing it said she let her husband read it, and then for three weeks she had to fend him off every time she went to take a shower. Oh my! It's a very, it's a very powerful scene. Um, but yeah, you're right. I write for adults. I have uh, my comic book lines out are all all but two are for mature adults. Or for at least people who are mature, 16, 17 and up. Right. Um, and and that's, that's a very big part of me. I like writing that. I don't like being limited when I write. I don't like being told that, you know, I have to write for a nine-year-old or a 12-year-old. Because I've discovered the expectations of writing, dumbing down like that. You're just not doing anyone any favors. Right. Um, so, yeah, my, my online persona, uh, the, the images that have create, been created by the artist, Leslie Taylor, uh, Cyril Brown. Um, Soybean Reese, Espiri, uh, Maku Telez, um, you know, the, the artists I work with, they do some very sexy, curvy drawings. They have some fun with it and they enjoy it. And it fits the stories and it fits, you know, the, the, the whole theme of what I do. And so, yeah, there's that. And then you're right. I, um, you know, I, I, use the, I use the naughty words. I, I, I say the fuck a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's a part of me that knows that I've had a hard life. You know, I went through I went through some shit I don't wish on anybody else. And for, for me to take to take a step back from being Bill McSci-Fi McCormick, you know, asshole of the Internet, for me to be able to take a step back and to help kids not have a hard life, to help kids get the support they need, to get the to get the love they need, to get someone to pay attention to them. If I can do that, then I'm, I'm fulfilling some purpose. I don't know what it is, but I'm fulfilling something. And I, and I know the kids appreciate it because sometimes... It's easy, especially when you're young, to just go, oh, I'm going to go party with these people, or I'm going to go do this, or I'm going to do that. And to have someone there is kind of, you know, I'm not judgmental. God knows I can't be judgmental, you know. If you're a teenager and you want to do something naughty, uh, (laughs) I probably wrote the the damn manual on it. So for me to be there, and just to be a voice of reason, to be there to help the kids, um, that makes me happy. It makes the kids happy. Um, it makes my pastor surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> and, uh, you have a pastor. I have to say, because for the people who don't know you and they're getting to know you, the stuff that I've seen you post, you know, I don't, I never honestly thought you were any um, religious at all. I thought you were maybe more atheist. So that's why I'm surprised by what you're telling me. Not that I'm judging it. I'm just saying hmm. it seemed like. Because you have to understand, when we see a lot of the things that people who um, they tout their religion, they claim their religion online, and and we're going to get into more of that, you know, they're against a lot of the things that you're okay with. You're okay with gay marriage, transgender people, um, 
you know, just, I mean, there's a list of things I could go through, but you're much more lax about those things. Whereas when you see a lot of people online, they say some horrific things and they say it in the name of the good book. So yeah. that's why I'm so surprised by what you're saying. I'm not, uh, I'm not turned off by it at all. I'm delighted because I think I, I grew up Christian. I was raised a few shades of Christian. So I, um, I, I never thought of it as well because I went to Catholic school and Sunday school and Episcopalian and everything. So, so I, now I just thought of Fifty Shades and what was it? Fifty Shades of Nightshade. <laughs> yes, that's going to be my next book. Um, no, but I, I, so my whole thing is I was raised that way. And although I don't dabble in any of that anymore, I still came out a nice person who was like, let live, you know, let everybody live their life and stop being so judgmental. So it always upset me that the other people who were raised around me, there's a few people raised around me, you know, they went the other way, this sort of negative controlling, you know, tell women what to do with their bodies, tell, you know, people who they should love. So that's why listening to you, it's, it's nice to hear because I'd like to know more about how you balance your religion and also being kind to others <laughs> i don't balance it at all um it's it's not something that requires balance to me uh, i'm a big fan of the gospel of mark but um, matthew 7 12 kind of lays it out for me do unto others as you would have them do unto you so you know I, I look at it this way controlling women's bodies the number of vagina you have that's the number of votes you get you don't got one you shut the fuck up um uh, yeah you don't like gay marriage? Don't gay marry somebody. There, it's simple. You know, right. you don't want to. You don't want to give a blowjob. Don't give a blowjob. Don't take one either, though. You got to be willing to give if you're getting. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but my point is, there's a lot of stuff out there. You just simply, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But you don't. What is it that one lady likes to say? She's a Texas minister. I forget her name, but uh, she's like, uh, religion is like a penis. It's fine to have one, but don't be waving it in everybody's face. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, you know, and, and that's it. It's like, I I believe in God. I, I've believed in God my whole life. That's not never been an issue. Um, mm -hmm. I I found a church with, with my girlfriend. We found a church that's uh, progressive. And, you know, I just, I'm not going to go someplace where it says, thou shalt not, and this, you know, this litany of things that's all dogma, mm -hmm. most of which is not in the Bible. There's right. nothing in the Bible that says uh, abortion is wrong. There's nothing in the Bible that says prostitution is wrong. A prostitute saved David. If you read Kings, the, the prostitute Rabban saved him, or otherwise the Jewish religion would have died in a battle that day. If they, you know, Jesus hung around, I used to joke, tw you know, with 12 sailors and a hooker, which is not historically accurate, but you get the idea. <laughs> right. he, was open to, he was open to the poor. He was open to the, the marginalized. He was open to the dissonant. He said nothing about anything except divorce. He doesn't really like divorce. But, and even then, it isn't like he made a commandment, thou shalt never get divorced. You know, it's just kind of like, eh, I hate when people get divorced. But, you know, Jesus was pretty much into love. And I'm like, okay, I, I've, I call myself a Christian because I believe what Christ said. I do not call myself a Christian so I can beat people over the face and, you know, in the head with Ezekiel or something else. Just chill, relax, enjoy life, be nice to people. It's just ironic how um, the religious right, they they speak out of both sides of their, their mouth because they support, you know, Donald Trump, who is thrice married, cheated on his wives, had children, um, had uh, an affair with a porn star while he, his pregnant wife was, you know, in, in another building, maybe even in the same building. And I know she was actually in labor when that happened. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> and so, and, and, but, but they support him. And so it's just like, it's so 
but it's just I, there's so much we could touch on that and, and we will touch on that because I do want to go back to Trump and everybody else but I just I just wanted to say that I, it's refreshing to hear someone talk about talking to children on Sunday school and trying to give them good advice but also still not trying to tell them to scare them because that's what I went through in Sunday school I, in fact huh. I Catholic school was a nightmare I don't mind Episcopalian <laughs> church it was okay but I was telling my I was telling my mother the other day um, I told her the thing that bothered me the most was the Sunday school because the lady who taught Sunday school I, I was I loved her so much I, I couldn't wait to go to Sunday school because she was so um, lovely you know she was like Snow White and then one day she turned to us and she was like so let's talk about Cain and Abel and she went through the whole thing and I was horrified okay I didn't know what I was going through with this and so I felt like you know there's this thing happening with uh, Christianity especially a lot of the super religious uh, right-wingers where it's more about fear than it is about love so oh, I, absolutely yeah I love I well, like what you're telling me I mean I grew up Catholic I grew up Catholic in the 60s uh, when I was born illegitimately my mother and father weren't married so when I was born the Irish uh, nuns used to round up the babies and uh, basically keep them in an orphanage till they were old enough to sell into slavery I mean adopt uh, wow, there, that was a big thing back in the '60s when that came tumbling down. They were talking like thousands upon thousands of kids have been sold into sex slaves or sold into, uh, you know, basically uh, child labor in foreign countries. As long as someone could give a donation to those particular nunneries or orphanages, that's what happened. So in my case, my family bounced me around until they got me to, to my grandparents, who took me in and, uh, you know, essentially adopted me, and so that gave me a home in America that I could grow up in. Um, but my, you know, so but I would go to a Catholic church where they were still reeling from, like two three years earlier, you know, the governments in Ireland and in America shutting that whole thing, orphanage for hire thing down. So my childhood experiences with the Catholic church was like walking on eggshells. Uh, I was not good at it, right. um, and I finally got expelled in fourth grade, which I think is some sort of it's got to be a, a track record somewhere. <laughs> and um, I ended up in public school. And in public school, I discovered there were these things called people. Did you know there are brown-skinned people and bright-skinned people and yellowish-skinned people and all the red-skinned people and they all have different kinds of hair? And all? I did not fucking know that until I was in fifth grade. Wow. That's, you know, it was like, whoa, look at that. Hey, look at that. And rather than be frightened of it, you know me well enough to know that even back then, I was like, wow, this is neat. It's new. It's exciting. And so I got to know all these people. And like Mark Twain says, if you travel, you can't be prejudiced, and if you read, you can't be ignorant. Um, you know, and it's, it's the same here. If you meet people who are different from you, you can't hate them anymore. Right. You know, it's one thing to, I hate the blacks. It's quite another thing for me to go, my neighbor Rochelle across the hall with her little boy uh, who likes to play catch with me because he thinks I'm just the neatest guy on the whole planet. I can't hate her. Right. I can't hate her, kid. I can't right. hate my neighbors. And we're getting, and that, that goes right back to what I said, where we're being fragmented. So we're being mm -hmm. put into these different bubbles and we're being isolated and, and, and especially on Facebook with the way the algorithm is, cause I'll see people that I interact with the most. I've got almost 5,000, you know, I, you know how I go through them. I like to, I like to pull out all the Trump guys and they get mad. They delete me. So, but usually rounding around 5,000 friends on Facebook and I don't see all of them. I don't see all their posts. I see like 10, 15 people. And the more I interact with those people, those are the people I see the most. And they keep us in these bubbles. And you're right. If we are not um, blending and interacting, then of course it's easier to see each other as other and it's easier to hate. 
to teach you a trick that I learned. Uh, I don't do it as much on my uh, main account mm -hmm. because I want there are certain people like you who I want to know what the hell's going on. So I, I like your stuff and push it up. But um, if you want, if you go onto Facebook and don't like anything for like ten days, it, you'll get a clean filter of everyone your friends are saying. It'll it'll just be random stuff, and you'll get a much more accurate view of what's going on in your world. Wow! See. We're learning things today, people. <laughs> I like that. Now, I wanna, I wanna just go back into a little bit about what you do before we get into other hot button issues. Now, you were talking, we were just talking earlier about how you know, uh, on social media, you definitely are very, you have adult, a lot of adult content. The books that you write and the comics that you write, um, they have a lot of adult content. So, I wanted to know, do you consider your comic books manga? And if you could explain to my audience what manga is that would be great because I I have an understanding of manga but I don't know if you consider what you do that uh, short answer is no not even a little bit uh, you're right manga does have more adult themes uh, manga is more fantasy oriented than what we do um, you, you're going to end up with I mean we actually have a squid person in one of the comics but it's more of a, a trope than anything uh, manga um Manga comics are very mature. They're very Japanese. They're very, very Japanese. Um, and they also tend to have very fantasy-oriented plots. Uh, the, there's a couple of cartoons that are running on Japanese television right now about a space princess who comes to Earth and bangs a 14-year-old boy in his bathtub. And wow. you get a lot of that. Yeah, you got a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, keeping in mind that in Japanese culture, nudity equals purity. So when they show uh, Sailor Moon naked or they show the goddess Aphrodite naked, they're showing that that is something is purity. Whereas in America, it's like spank porn. So right. you, you got you to you know, you know, know the source to make sense of it. But the, as far I as see what, a lot of um, I see a lot of like Japanese artists that they will take cartoons and they'll turn all of them into porn. And so it's it can be a little confusing because they'll say, and I don't just mean Japanese cartoons. I mean like they'll take games that I like to play, like Overwatch or something like that, and then they'll make a adult version of it, like sort of how America makes the porn version of movies. It they'll do yeah, the it's same the rule thing. Rule thirty-four, right? It's rule, rule thirty-four. If there, if something exists, there's a porn version of it. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's true. It is. Uh, the Last Temptation of Christ, Google the porn version of that. You'll be in therapy for years. But, uh, wow. <laughs> it, it exists. It exists. Uh, She-Hulk goes, just change your religion right there. But but seriously, all right, what I do is not manga. Uh, people, one of the guys described it as a 90s comic written for an adult who grew up in the 90s. Uh, and that's not a bad way of looking at it. I write very clear stories. The science in my comics is as accurate as I can get it except for the hybrid zero multiverse because that was something that was created by Cyril Brown and I'm just I'm writing stories in his universe so that's a little different although that's a lot of fun to do mm -hmm. um, because we've got three contemporaneous titles that are going on there and then if everything works a few years down the road they're all going to blend into one big monster title but right now three separate storylines three separate story arcs and uh, that one does have a, a character named Mr. Blom who is a catapus which is an alien cat octopus with eight eyes eight tentacles and uh, a, he has a fetish for human women uh that's his thing <laughs> i'm just yeah okay i'm just trying to imagine this because i haven't seen him i've seen a lot of the women they have gigantic breasts yeah that's cyril okay and um 
there's a lot of bondage costuming happening, a lot of S and M qualities to what yep, they wear. A, okay. Yep, that, but but so but you wouldn't consider it manga because it's not just straight fantasy porn. There's a story. Uh, or... Yeah. It, well, it's not manga isn't all porn, but mm -hmm. uh, manga is definitely very fantasy oriented. Um, mm -hmm. It's very fantasy. There's a lot of wish fulfillment in manga. Um, there's okay. not that much of that in this. Um, uh, really quickly, I'll do the quick synopsis and maybe it'll help a little bit. Okay. Uh, there's three there's three titles in Hybrid Zero. The first one is Juggernaut. That's the big one. Yeah. Um, and that's the one that's where it's a, a multiverse in the future where sex is lauded, violence is taboo, but the fate of everyone is coming down to a family of genetically enhanced assassins who may okay. be having sex with each other. Um, Jungle Girl is about a futuristic Earth, our Earth, that uh, accidentally got destroyed and rebuilt, and so they put a sex park in Brazil where you can go down there and bang a dino clone or get a fish stick on a stick or just have fun. Um, okay. And you can get beer, and you can get beer and get beer and philosophy up. Um, and then the last one we have is Cassandra the Changeling Sword, which this one is pure Chinese. It has nothing to do with manga whatsoever. There's no Japanese culture in it at all. And it actually starts in the 1950s, uh, early Maoist China. And it ends up with a 96-year-old dead woman who gets reincarnated as a teenage shinobi on an alien world that's floating on the back of a turtle. And it's called Earth. And uh, she's got to fight her even clone because, you know, that's what you need in a cartoon. But, I uh, think yeah, I'm I mean, far too sober to understand any of this. <laughs> but I can, I'll send you a link. You can read it. Out. Just, just, the art is eye-popping. Oh, I've and, seen it. No, I've seen a lot of these, but the description you're giving for people who haven't seen it, it's just, it's just get a tap, sit down, <laughs> because. <laughs> you know, do, do it this way. Go to BillMixSciFi.com, click on comics, and have yourself a merry old time. Because we have samples online, so you can actually check stuff out before you have to send me money. You're a comic book guy. You know, I'm I'm trying to develop my own comic book, Nikia Nightshade. And going into this, I've loved comic books my whole life. And as a kid, I used to do a ton of like, you know, little at home comics. Um, but back then it was the world we live in now are two different things. So comic books are basically the only box office draw at this moment in time. <laughs> really, people don't have a reason to leave to go to the movie theaters because they can watch anything that's not a comic, um, you know, a big uh, big budget sci-fi thing. They can watch that at home on Netflix, so they don't really need to leave unless they want that full immersion feeling. Um, and my, my worry is that because comic books have gone so mainstream and there's a lot of these sort of lay people who think they know about comic books, but they don't just because they watched it, you know at the theater so I'm concerned that by the time my comic book even starts to have legs that that will go will start to downturn I don't know if it will but I wanted to get your opinion about two things so this is a two two-part question one yeah. is what do you think of the, the the last try to make a small I guess make this a short response because it's a big question but how do you feel about how we've come from when the first X-Men movie came out in 2000 to where we are now in 2020 with the, the movie franchising of comic books. And where do you think that's going in the next 10 years? Okay, there's a couple of things that need to be unpacked there that you said. Never mind, I'll just, I'll just do it. I, for one, I'm a big fan. I'm glad they're doing it because I, these stories are wonderful stories and they get told, now they're getting told and people are sharing them and that's great. What has happened though is what the big two, Marvel and DC, have definitely moved kind of away from comic books, or at least that being a main source of income, uh, into 
using the intellectual properties to create movies, to create video games, to create all these other pro uh, uh, projects or properties. And that's fine, because what's happened is, for people like me, for example, because um, I can talk about me, because I know me, and I, I, I've met me before. Uh, when we released Legends Parallel, we were having a very similar conversation. And Legends Parallel, uh, for those of you who haven't read it, which I'm going to guess is all of you, uh, is based on, it's, it's a, it, the, the tagline is, it's um, for people who think quantum physics isn't violent or sexy enough. But the lead character, the lead character in it is a guy named Tom Hill, who's an African-American billionaire engineer genius, really, really smart guy. Um, we were afraid of like all the stuff we were going to catch from people releasing a character like that. And it, it doesn't have mainstream property written on it because it doesn't. Um, it's a wild-eyed ride through the comic book land. And what happened? People loved it. We ended up with national distribution. Do I sell 35,000 copies every time it pops out? No. But have, have we had a good run with this thing where we're going to get ready to do, a, do number four? We've got a Kickstarter, or excuse me, not a Kickstarter. We've got a graphic novel coming out uh, now, actually this week, um, which features a photo shoot from a lady named uh, Feisty uh, Nicole Brown, who uh, she seems to have this clothing optional view of life so she's perfect <laughs> to work with me and wow. she's she's been a big fan of the book and a big fan of me for years and uh, I, and the feelings mutual I like her a lot um, but uh, so you know we're, we, we're working with these people and we, we find different venues to get stuff out for example with Legends Parallel we work with a lot of models and the, the, the book gets a lot of love you know in modeling shows and in uh, African art shows and things like that and um I'm a featured uh, vendor at the Detroit Motor City Black Age of Comics. And you may have noticed I'm not black. Nor no, am I but from you, do, you do hang out with a lot of black people. You certainly do promote a lot of um, black artists in, in many different um, avenues. Um, and then, of course, you said you do live in the south side of Chicago. So it yeah. seems like you're a little little white chocolatey, a little bit. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, I'm sweet when you taste me. No, it's, <laughs> but yeah, I, I am a little white chocolate. That's true. And um, but anyway, Legends Parallel, you know, that was the one that, that was the one that started it, the one that really got us some legs. Um, the reviews that came in on it were just incredible. And uh, I mean, like ComicBook.com was like, you know, hey, this four star. This is what an adult, well written comic book should be like. And there's a market for that. Um, our distributor, this is kind of funny. We're distributed by a company called Nerdanatics. They're out of Texas. And yeah, what, very, what is Nerdanatics? Because I was actually going to ask you that. So go ahead and, and unpack uh, that for me. It's a, it's, a, it's a comic book production company. So they have printing. They have promotion. They have different things. You can buy in a package or not buy a package or do what you want. Um, we, they picked me up originally to distribute me. And they decided to see what stores would and would not like. Because, you know, adult content in South Texas. They were a little iffy. The very first store to buy from them, and the very first thing they bought was Legends Parallel, was an ice cream shop across the street from a church. Wow. <laughs> so that, like, you go in and get your sprinkles for little Timmy while you're getting your um, Legends Parallel with Lady Ocean and her uh, bikini made of flowers, and it's just wild. <laughs> Where do you think they're going now with this? Since, since it's clear with the way that Disney is acquiring everything, Marvel is basically trapped inside that web, that Mickey Mouse web. Um, DC, I don't know. DC doesn't seem to be able to get its footing. Are they ever going to let any other comic book companies um, evolve, grow, bloom, turn it? I mean, there's so many other comics that are not getting the same shine. What do you think? I, I agree with you on that. And I think that's um, 
what we're calling the second level is starting to happen now. Um, and you're start, I, was, uh, I have a friend of mine who is a, a buyer for HBO. He's a really guy, really neat guy who would sue me if I used his name. But, um, well, because what he, what he does is behind the scenes stuff. He last thing he wants is, you know, to be out on, in public. One of the things he and I talk about, and he's brought this up, is like there are several comic book companies out there, some of which don't want to be exploited into film and television. They see that as a trap. And so they're staying away from it. Um, he said some of the others that do want to be, he goes, the stuff is so god awful or inconsistent, we can't touch it. But there's this middle ground there that's been developing, especially the last four or five years, of independent comic companies that are making a profit or doing what they want to do. Their their creative flag is 100% their creative flag. You either like their character or you don't, but you're you're not like you know you're making a decision based on the quality of the product, and it's a good quality product every single time. It isn't like you're looking at it and going, oh, this is horrible. It looks like it was drawn by a nine-year-old on meth. You know, I mean, it's well-done stuff. I'm prepared to do it, but I'm just concerned because I feel like the market is oversaturated. And But you, like you said, you you came in there, you didn't know what to expect, and things happened. So it is what it uh, is. Uh, I just hope that there's, there's still room for growth and uh, opportunities because I feel like it's all being clustered into these mega corporations making sure no, nothing else happens. Not at all. As a matter of fact, I'm in negotiations with a, a comic book distributor in Africa that wants to pick up my stuff because they just want this kind of stuff down there and they're not getting it. I can cover about 40 English language primary countries with, uh, with the titles I have right now. And that's that's how you kind of have to look at things. You can't look at things like, how am I going to sell it to compete against Mickey Mouse or compete against uh, Batman here in the United States? Because you're not going to do that. You're going right. to go nuts. You're going to go broke. It's like, what can I do that I don't need Mickey Mouse or Batman? And right. suddenly the whole world opens up to you. I buy comic books. I'm paying maybe 15 to 20% more than DC pays. But they're buying 20,000, 50,000 copies of the crack. I'm buying 100, 200, right. 500, you know? So motion to scale. My profit ratio is good because I don't have to sell it to Diamond for, you know, 50 cents less than I, you know, 50 cents more than I printed it for. I can sell it at stores and I can sell it direct and I get a decent money. And suddenly there's a way to make a living doing this. There's a way to promote it. There's a way to get the word out and there's a way to get money back. And that market, is going to be there for quite some time until you know I, can i say 100 years from now no i can't say but right. 10 years from now absolutely because we got new markets like the new uh african in uh, nigeria that's 20,000 people that never was able, were able to get to a comic convention before suddenly have a place to go to buy comics and what do they want american underground comics they don't want dc and batman they don't want marvel and iron man they see no, that they've been seeing that for 100 years right so it's like they, it's, they yeah. want they, they want the other stuff and if you have black superheroes which i'm unintentionally writing one but uh i'm there and i'm in on it so they're calling me and like hey we want to release this hey we want to do this and we still have some details to work out but uh, hopefully by the time this show airs you know from uh, your your podcast to God's iPod. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so before we get into your promos and your hot five, I want to kind of swoop back around to politics just a little bit because that's something that you talk about on Facebook. It's certainly something you've seen me um, trolling people about on Facebook. I don't think they really realize I'm trolling them, but I <laughs> am. And I'm very open about that. I say, listen, I I post these things because that's what gets your eyeballs to my content. If I didn't have to do that, I wouldn't do that. So we're just out from the Super Tuesday. 
and a lot of people have bowed out of the running for 2020. Uh, a lot of people are upset about some of the people that bowed out. And so one uh, one of the questions I want to ask you is, from the remain remaining people that are supposedly viable for president in 2020, uh, who do you think is going to win, and who would you like to see win? Well, I'll answer that in reverse order. I really wanted Elizabeth Warren to win. Um, she's having a rough time of it right now. Um, be honest with you, if, if it comes down to Biden or Bernie, I don't care either way. I will vote happily for either one of them. I will pull, you know, I'm at that point, it's vote blue no matter who. Um, you know, Mayor Pete didn't do it for me, uh, which is a shame because I actually got to meet him a couple of times. His, his main campaign office was like down the block from where I live. So, right. so you know, I could like go by and have a hot dog and chat with Mayor Pete. And that's kind of cool. He's a nice guy. I just, um, I wasn't sold on some of his policies. He um, just seemed... Um... You know, they were always like, oh, well, he's gay, so everything's fine. It's like, he's the one. It's like, well, okay, he's gay, but he was still, the, it was still the same 1950s packaging. It was the same present presentation of just like, he just looked like he was shoveling shit to the audience. So I, that's why yeah. he didn't work for me. Yeah, I, I, I had problems with specific policies, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, he's not going to get elected. He's out of the race, so we don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, I agree with one one thing Bloomberg said before he dropped out. He said uh, Bernie's the revolutionary and uh, Biden's an evolutionary, but both of them are about change. You know, and it depends on how radical you want change or how fast you want it to happen. Uh, that's where those two, both those guys are going to be heading in the same direction. So I'm Did okay Bloomberg with drop out? Yeah, Bloomberg dropped out this morning. <laughs> so, you know, I'm literally learning this right now from you. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he spent a half a billion dollars to get his ass handed to him. He did win American Samoa, which <laughs> delegates don't count. <laughs> I'm so sorry to everybody because I know I'm not being very professional at the moment, but I did not know that. I knew about Buttigieg. I know San, you know, um, sorry, not Sanders. Um, Warren was having problems. I knew a bunch of other people were basically saying who they supported, mm. but I did not know Bloomer jumped out, and I'm actually elated because he had no business being there he had no business being there in the first place and i and those advertisements were god awful yeah oh god yeah um and, and I, I felt bad years and years ago when barack obama was first running for senate um i went to a, a louis farrakhan event believe it or not uh where michelle obama was there and i got to talk to her and she said the one thing that uh, she thought was funny is that people use her husband like, oh, I know, there's my Negro. She's like, he's like the token Negro. And she said, it's going to be hard for him to get away from that. Right. And he did. He successfully got away from that. He became president of the United States. He's, you know, blah, blah, blah. We all know that. But the funny thing is, now that he's not president of the United States again, what do we got? We got Bloomberg and Biden and everyone's putting up. And see, here's my token Negro. I got Obama. I, I got right. me an Obama. And it's like, right. it pisses me the fuck off. Yeah. Um, but, um, there's some other stuff that Biden has done that just makes me cringe. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, he's I like the when he came back out because he was away for a little while, like, and then he just reemerged, and he's, you know, he's just as just as bronzed as Trump, same bronzer. Mm -hmm. He's got the face. I don't know Botox. I don't know what he did to his face. It's like his eyebrows are look like McDonald's arches, and <laughs> the bleached, you know, teeth and the the hair. It's just like I don't know what he's doing. I don't know who's advising him, but he looks like horrifying. I, 
I wish there was a different candidate, obviously. I, you know, these are just the choices that are laid out in front of me. I, I fail to see why people have become believers that Bernie Sanders is the boogeyman. I don't understand that. He's been around forever. He was always just this kind of innocent. No one was ever threatened by him until he ran for president. And then the campaigning against him made him seem like he was this like boogeyman, socialist, you know, whatever that they made him out to be. I just see him as, this is my opinion, of course. I just see him as like this harmless older man who just wants everybody to do well and maybe his he's got a pie in the sky you know plan and maybe his head's in the clouds a little bit but at this point i mean it's either that or we go with the establishment nonsense where it's like they're going to put someone who's in charge whether they're a democrat or a republican who they basically work for all the same people i mean they all hang out together we've seen all the pictures so i just and and by the way we've seen all the pictures of bloomberg trump and biden and and the clintons all together hanging out mm-hmm. having a great time the one person you don't see in those pictures is bernie sanders well it's because he never gets invited to the party uh-huh. right and that's the guy <laughs> i want and that's the guy i would rather have as president just because i don't want the guy who's not invited to the party no oh, and and i understand that and there, there's a lot about bernie that i do like um uh my only complaint about bernie is that in his many many years in office he's really uh, put no bills forward, no real legislation, just kind of been there, voted for stuff that he approved of, you know. He's just, he's been very much a passive guy. And I don't think I want a passive president, especially in the world we live in. I want someone who's like going to be able to take charge. That said, yeah. Bernie could be that guy. And I'm not, you know, if he, and if he gets close to sniffing the, the election, I'll throw my vote behind him. I have no problem doing that. But uh, well, where we're I mean, at right and, now- and where we're at, also just to just to add to what you're saying about Bernie, the thing is, is that we're we're beyond the pale of what used to be known as our political um, palette tapestry. Trump didn't know anything, and he became president, and he has no idea what he's doing. So I'll take Bernie Sanders, who at least has been in politics, over that. Oh, oh no. Listen, I, I would take a rabid rhesus monkey that was chewing on my ankle over that <laughs> fucking bloated. What is it, uh, John Fugel saying? The comedian calls him comb over Caligula. Wow. Um, comb I call over him the town. Yeah, that's a great name, isn't it? Comb over Caligula. That's a great title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's cool too. I can say that because John's a fan of my writing. He's actually I've got pictures of us holding books and shit together. It's fun. Yes. So, all right. So then, so let me ask you this: What if Trump does win in 2020? Where do you what do you think is going to happen? Because everybody has these different opinions. That some people think it's going to be great. You know, the Trump guys. Oh, it's great. Trump 2020. Deal with it. Losers were winning. You know, that's what they. That's pretty much all they say. They don't have anything mm-hmm. else. They have one line: that and make America great again. But what do you think is going to happen? Oh, that one's easy. It'll be the biggest depression since 1929. It'll, we're already trillion, our government is already borrowing trillions of dollars to cover the losses left by the tax cuts. And we're borrowing that money from the Chinese and the Africans. We are literally selling our country to a foreign country. Uh, Can you explain that for people who didn't live through that or didn't, don't read up on their history exactly yeah, what that, that would old. look <laughs> no no i know i understand but what i'm saying is for some people when you say depression they're like oh we'll just take you know zoloft you see what i'm saying they don't understand yeah. what that truly the gravity of what you're saying so could you just explain that for some of my listeners who need to understand the gravity of what you're saying especially the trump voters who think everything's gonna be all right <laughs> um you're looking at 
you're probably going to look at it like 15 to 20 to 25 percent unemployment because companies are going to shut down. Uh, jobs are going to become scarce. They're going to become much lower wages. The economy will start spiraling downward because nobody's making money, so nobody's spending money. Nobody's spending money, so companies have to close. Companies close, so nobody has a job. Nobody has a job, they don't make any money. And it spirals downward. And it was uh, wasn't until Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the FDR, with his New Deal, where he just pumped billions of dollars into the economy just to kind of get it stable. And even that was kind of on rocky ground until World War II hit. We can't really count on that turn of events to save the economy again. Um, and in fact, most, you know, we, there's no one to go have a war with because everything's smaller, factionalized people, beings. You got terrorist cells. You don't have full armies threatening us every day. Um, so if, if he gets reelected and he continues on his mad spending tax cut spree, which looks like he will because that's what he likes, it puts his name in the center of things and that's all he cares about. I mean, he's a narcissist in the, in the nth degree. So as long as it's a Trump this, Trump that, and uh, he's putting that out there, there isn't a single economist that I've talked to except the one guy here on a local news station who's like, but everything's wonderful as long as you're buying stocks as the stock market crashes. Think about that line for a second, Skippy, and <laughs> move on. Um, <laughs> well, no, and, I, and I've, had, I've only had one full-blown Trump supporter on my podcast as of now, but I intend on having a couple more. And um, this is this is the second half of season one of my podcast. And if I'm lucky enough to do season two, it will probably most likely uh, start right before the elections. Um, mm -hmm. So I will be trying to cover that. I would love to have you back on to discuss the life, the, the world we're in then, if you'd like to come back. Um, oh. <laughs> you know me. You know me, Nakia. I always come back to you. Always. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> but with that being said, you know, I just want to say for the, the listeners who do support Trump, you know, they they do believe that he's making everything better and that once he's here, everything is going to be there's going to be more jobs, more money. Everyone's doing great because because of right now, the people who are supporting him, they're doing OK. So they think, oh, this is how it's going to continue. They don't understand. We're still coming off of what the last administration did and as we go through another four years you're going to finally see the fruits of trump's i guess labor so <laughs> lack um, of labor lack of labor right you know what did you say vote blue yeah vote blue no matter who oh, there uh, you go i'll tell you something there's a friend of mine uh, who's a political strategist uh for a couple of big think tanks mm -hmm. and she summed it up for me nicely she said if 50% of America votes, Trump wins. If 60% of America votes, Trump loses. If 70% of America votes, there won't be a Republican left standing. Got to get out and fucking vote, everybody. Just get out and fucking vote. All right. Well, so now before we do your hot five, oh. I would like to uh, give you a chance to do some promoting your social media platforms, your your books. And, um, and you have a new graphic novel out, right? Uh, I've got a bunch of stuff out. Um, Go right, for it. Just, Go for it. <laughs> all, right, all right. I just wrote a movie called Splice, which will be coming out next year. Uh, and then I turned around and spun back and turned that into a novel, also called Splice. Uh, and that's coming out through Watchdog Entertainment. Um, okay. And so that's a novel. Then I've got another novel called Gopri of the Mists, which is the prequel sequel to my last trilogy called The Brittle Riders. Basically, it answers the musical question nobody in their fucking right mind asked, what would happen if I set The Brittle Riders in India? And that's what I did. I, had a, I actually had some, I have quite a few friends from India and Pakistan. And they kept saying, you got to write about us. You got to write about us. So I actually wrote down their stories, their personal life stories. 
and then mutated them so they're you know alien genetic hybrids who overthrow the human race Naturally. and they, you know <laughs> they're having fun with that um but so i got that out and then uh yeah like we talked about i've got the hybrid zero universe which is jungle girl juggernaut and cassandra and the changeling sword then i've got uh, rut row rangers which is the uh it's a parody of scooby-doo little <laughs> ten little ten pager um that was done by the Glyph Award uh, nominee, uh, artist, a lady named Maku Telez. Uh, she's one of the best female artists of color. Well, she colors and she's a female artist, but whatever. She's a <laughs> lovely lady. And then I have uh, one out called Savarchik, which I wrote for some transgendered teens at the library. Uh, it's a story about a woman trapped inside a man and a god trapped inside a human. And um, that that's a teen-oriented book. I wrote it specifically for teens. Okay. And uh, they love that. And... Several transgender groups have, you know, gone out and bought like bulk bulk amounts of it to give them out. Uh, my favorite story with that is a lady had a, her daughter was transgender daughter, and um, she drove an hour to where I was doing a, a, an appearance out in the suburbs. She drove an hour out there to come meet me to get me to sign the book so she could turn around. And it was two dollars, by the way. Book cost two dollars because it's a, it's a teaser. Nice. <laughs> Gives me the two dollars, has me sign the book puts the book in her purse, turns around, drives an hour back home. I will point out that had she bought it online, they were offering free shipping. It could have been shipped to her house for two bucks and she would have never have had to drive. But she was so, she thought it was so important to have that for her daughter, to have that sign to show her that someone out there cared about her. Right. And about two weeks later, and her daughter's a teenager, so you know there's the automatic eye rolls and, oh, mom. But about two weeks later, I got an email from the daughter and she's like, she goes, you know, hey, this is really cool, and thank you. Representation matters, and it does. It really does matter. Okay, so now when, where can people find you online so they can connect with you, and then they can get, you know, the updates directly from you? Uh, I have a website called BillMcSciFi.com. Got that nickname courtesy of an Amazon rep who fucked up my, my uh, author page. Um, and I loved, I loved it. I'm like, I'm stealing that, motherfucker. Screw me over, I'm screwing you back. So, yeah, I, I'm BillMcSciFi.com. <laughs> And basically, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm, I'm I got a Pinterest page. I don't know why I have a Pinterest page, but I do. I think I have but, one somewhere, dead yeah. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, go to Bill McSci-Fi, B-I-L-L-M-C-S-C-I-F-I, and um, just wander around. I've got all sorts of stuff up there. I've got links to uh, some free samples that people can read. Um, I'm, you know, like is McSci-Fi right for you? Well, try it first. You know, and. Um, yeah, and uh, you can spend a lot of money up there. I, I know a guy, this is true, I was doing a convention, this dude showed up, he had one of everything I had written. Even the anthologies that are only released in the United Kingdom, he had them. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's kind of stalkerish, but I signed them all and took pictures. And... No, that's the dream right there. That's the goal. And I have a lot of people who are listening who have those dreams and those goals, and I'm I'm really glad that I could get you on here to talk about those things because you can put them to a more realistic uh, way of getting them done. And I like yeah. that you said that. Now, are you ready for me to turn up the heat on you, Bill? Oh, turn it up, baby. Turn it up. <laughs> All right. So it is time for your hot five questions. And I'm just going to go through a few things I've been wanting to ask you. And you can just uh, be as honest as you like. Or if it gets a little too hot, you just let me know you want me to turn the heat down. All right. So my first question to you is, what is the largest age gap that you've had in a relationship and why? Largest age gap? Mm -hmm, between you and your partner. Um, 25 years. 
Wow, really? <laughs> yeah, um, I was, I just lost my job. And this uh, lady who was 25 years younger, actually 25 years to the day younger than me, knocked on my door. She'd been, she'd had a couple of drinks. It was like six o'clock in the morning. And she goes, I've never done an old guy before. A couple of hours later, I solved that problem. I figured that was the wow. end of that. But she kept coming back and I kept going out with her and we did that for a while. I've never done an old guy before. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so, yeah, fair enough. We, I, I used to call her knock knock girl because she would knock knock on my door at the time. Wow. Okay. Well, and I asked and you responded. So that's <laughs> how this works. Okay. So, well, now you're in a relationship. You seem to be coupled with someone who is, um, I think you guys are very well matched. Mm -hmm. um, you've been together for a little while. Is there any plans to maybe do the regular ritualistic things we do here and get married yes there is absolutely um both in both of our cases we were trying to find our way financially and get some other things done we're certainly not in any rush i'm 58 years old she's 52 so you know it isn't like we've got to get ready to get married and have kids because that's that's off the table <laughs> um so it's more a matter of you know we got some things together um uh, within the last year i've become a full-time writer and so now my, my income is nothing but 100% of me throwing letters at a screen and praying for words and um, trying to get that stable so we can do some things. You know, we're paying off bills and we're, you know, getting out from underneath some, some old school debt. And we're getting, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel and it's no longer an oncoming train. So we will get married. It's just a matter of when it's right for us to do so. Now, what, now we've seen a lot of different things. In fact, I just saw something literally this morning where a couple, oh no, it was last night, a couple had a wedding and they had the cake made to look like their severed heads and then in the icing it said, till death do us part. It was very morbid. So I'm wondering, that's their personality. Will your wedding reflect the Bill McSci-Fi world? Would you have something odd or will it be more traditional? You know, um. Had you asked me that a year ago, Kim would have said, we're having a nice traditional wedding and this is going to be the pastor and this is where we're going to do it. But since then, she and I have gotten to go to other weddings and like a, a friend of mine uh, got married and they had, they gave all the kids Superman or superhero costumes to wear and masks and capes. And it was fucking great. It was awesome. And it was really fun. And we've seen a couple other things where people, you know, uh, they did a, a kind of a cyberpunk themed wedding, you know, which was just, I thought it's amazing and wonderful. Um, so I think what's going to end up happening is we're going to have a semi-traditional wedding, you know, with a minister and, uh, you know, and guests and people. But I think we're going to have some fun with it, too, because I, I can't go through life and not have fun. Everything to me, you know, uh, one of the kids I mentored, she calls me a toddler all the time. And I, I take it as a compliment because I wake up every day wide eyed going, yeah, what am I going to discover today? What's going to be fun? So, yeah, I'm going to bring that attitude to the wedding. Good. We'll see. All right, I'm gonna crank up the heat now, so get ready, cause you get burnt. Okay, so we talked earlier about how you have a lot of voluptuous naked women in your material, and um, a lot of the women that you work with and or uh, share projects with on social media, especially having to do with your art, are black women, and I see a lot of naked black women. And mm -hmm. as a brown woman who comes, from, <laughs> who came from a black woman, um, I I would like to know: Do you feel like maybe you're exploiting black women's bodies and sexuality for funds, 
or do you feel like you're celebrating them and how do you decipher which is which uh well i certainly feel like i'm celebrating them um and I think a lot of that has to do with, I work with them directly on how we present things. Uh, for example, Legends Parallel, those women that are in Legends Parallel are real women, they're real models that we base those characters on. Um, so we work with them to, to get the body images and the body stuff they wanted, with the understanding that we're doing stuff for fun. Uh, but I don't exploit them because I, I when you, when people draw voluptuous women and then use them as to fulfill their rape fantasies or fulfill some sort of wish fulfillment fantasy, then you're getting into exploitation. I don't do that. These women are fun, they're weird, they're wonderful. They're very powerful. Uh, Ocean, the lady I just mentioned in Legends Parallel, she's a chemist, she's smart, she's pissed off at the system. She starts taking people down who fuck over. over. Uh, she's got a, she hangs out with a midget because that's what really powerful women do. And you know, she has a lot of fun. And I try to make sure that the characters are respected, they have fun, and that they are in control of their bodies and their situations. I don't exploit them. I don't use them just to get my jollies off. Okay. Okay. And then I had to ask because I've, I have conversations, as you know, I work with other artists who mm -hmm. do comics who are helping develop my own. And, you know, one of the things that the artists that I work with, they're, they're, um, african-american um there they have a thing where it's like we need more representation we need more artists that are african-american making that representation because it's for a very long time it's been just white and asian men creating these images of people that they are not and so that's why i asked it was just something i wanted to know and put out there i'm glad that you answered it honestly and clearly um now speaking on another topic i would love to know how you find your way into it and inform yourself. You mentioned earlier about a transgender character that you created, um, which you said was a woman trapped in a man's body, trapped in a, a human trapped in the body of a god, right? Other way around. Or a god trapped in the body of a human, right? Right. So what I want to know is how do you inform yourself about transgender people and enough to write about them? And have you ever had any sort of relationship with someone who is transgender, whether it be physical or just personal? Uh, well, I'll answer the last one first. Yes, on both physical and personal. Um, and I'm still in touch with them. Um, we dated for oh, some time, uh, like a year, year and a half. Okay. Uh, I, and um, no, it was pre-surgery, so we, I, you know, I basically broke down all the doors you could break down with that one, so we're, we're done there. Um, okay, that was more than I asked, but I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, well, what the hell? You want it hot, you get hot. Um, okay, yeah, scorching. Um, but the, the thing of it is, is that one of the girls at the at the, at the library that I mentored, she was uh, African American and transgender, and she was going through stuff, and she was catching grief, and she's like, you know, and I, she goes, I can't even point to a comic with this. So I started thinking about it, and you were talking about artists of color. This is funny. The uh, the lady who did the art for uh, Savarchik, which is a comic book set in Russia, is Afro-Korean. And um, she's just amazing. I love her. I just love her to pieces. Um, but so when we did this, and I was going through different character designs, I was showing them to the kids. What would you like? What do you, you know, I had them involved in it. And I kind of knew what I was going to do with the story. Um, and uh, they liked the story, and they're like, oh, no, you got to make her white, because then people will read her. And I felt bad that they said that, but I understood what they were saying. They didn't want me to make something that was just a throwaway character. They wanted it to be something that lasted. And the character's now getting ready to, we're getting ready to re-release it as a full run comic. Uh, it's got some legs behind it. Um, it was a top 10 seller at Nerdanatics for 
19 months uh, constantly. So, you know, so we, the kids are right. We hit the right market. I feel a little bad about that, but that doesn't mean I can't add a black transgender character in there later when she gets a friend. Right. Um, so, you know, but, but what I, but what I'm wanting to know is so, so since you did have a relationship with someone who was transgender, did you in conversation, is it how you learn and developed what you wrote into the character? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring out, especially in Savarchik, one of the things I really wanted to bring out was the fun that these people can have when they're allowed to be themselves. Um, so to get that across, we, we the comic book is set in a traveling circus, and she's an acrobat. And the circus people are the only ones who know that she used to be a little boy. And they're the ones who helped her get the change because it's illegal in Russia to do that. And I wanted to drive that home, that it isn't just some moral thing. They could be shot. They could be arrested. They could be put in jail. And I wanted to make the stakes that high. And then with all that on the table, she's having a ball and she's enjoying herself. And she, when she finds out she has a god living in her head, the first thing she does is take him swimming. You know, she just she's having fun with life. And I wanted to get that through. Good. That's I listen. These are the questions I ask people specifically to them because these are the things that I know when people come across your work, they may have these same questions. So this way you kind of got ahead of the, the game. <laughs> um, and all right. So my final question to your final hot five is the one I ask everyone. And that is Bill Nick Sci-Fi. What is your life about? There's an old Indian uh, Hindu Indian uh, proverb that says every man should live five lives. And I think I'm in the fifth life. I've been a musician. Uh, I've been a nude model. Uh, I've been a manager for James Brown and worked with Ray Charles. Uh, I ran a record company. And now I found this passage in my life where I'm writing and I'm doing all this cool stuff. So um, my life is about t telling stories. And it's cool because because of all the other things I've done, I have some amazing stories. There's a a scene in The Brittle Riders where a, bunch, a couple of topless uh, mutants wipe down their breasts with a bar rag and throw it back at the bartender. That happened to me in a real bar. I was there. <laughs> and it just, I've got stuff like that that I can write about. And it, it seems real because it was real. It is real. And I know it. And uh, now I don't need to go hit the bar every night and, you know, worry about fights or worry about the other things. Uh, I don't need to go out looking for sex. I've got that home at home and nice little cute package. I'm keeping that with me. So I'm good, you know. I'm at a stage in my life where I find myself kind of happy. Did you enjoy yourself here? Oh, immensely. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. <laughs> good. Well, I hope everybody checks out Bill McSci-Fi. I like to call him Bill, just Bill. <laughs> and um, I, I'll be linking a lot of his things when I promote this. Thank you for being here. And until next time, make sure you guys keep it piping hot. <laughs> <laughs>